You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And I'm Corbin. And, and you're Corbin! <laughs> As always. It's always that that's how we do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't want to step on your toes. But I oh, like, at this yeah. point, there's no such thing. You're family. Step yeah, on. Yeah. This oh is like, what, God. the fifth, sixth episode we've done together, so... I love you guys so much. And Angie, I can't believe you had another baby. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, baby Maddox. We love him so much. And he is making my life as a human keeper pretty easy. He is a good baby. He's already sleeping six, seven hours at night and just happy, loves his brothers, Love ceiling fans, so me I, too. I, I did too. Isn't that <laughs> yeah. weird? I would go to to the fan store. I swear to God, as a kid, I would love them. So, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I would love it if he turns out as great as you did. So hopefully, there maybe there's a connection there. But so far, he gets an A plus in my book, and we're just loving him, and it's been a great family time. So uh, yeah. I'd have to I'd have to say you shocked me because I don't go on social media. I, I mean I, I'm on social media, but I, I I don't scroll. I just I honestly tried to save my time to create stuff. And so when I found out that you had a baby, I was like, whoa, 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 wait! Like whoa, whoa, wait! Is this April Fool's prank? What's going on? And it's true. I know. No, we we kind of wondered that too when we first found out we were pregnant. <laughs> if it was an April Fool's prank, but it wasn't. So <laughs> surprise! Happy COVID, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, what do they say? This pandemic's bringing some people closer together and some people further apart. Well, yes, for us, it brought us closer together. So, That's but yeah, you know, we're yeah we're enjoying it. It's just been it's been wonderful. Awesome. No, Congratulations. No. I fell out of my chair when I found out Corbett. I was like, I, because usually whenever she came into my office, her last two pregnancies, you know, I was her PhD advisor and she was so scared to talk to me about it and share because it was going to, you know, delay things in her research. And I like jumped out of my chair, gave her the biggest hug because I love her and John so much. Oh, like, yeah. I always tell the story like Chris was more excited than I was. <laughs> John and I were. <laughs> this last one, with I the, just like fell well, out of my with chair. The, with the first two, I should say. But yes, this, uh, but no, this, the third time's a charm, man. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, been, it's been great. So fun yeah. uh, fitting into our family just perfectly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now, Corbin, 
it has been an insane year. We haven't been able to catch up with you for, for quite a while. How have you been through this pandemic? Like as a wildlife educator, it, you know, we're going to get to the topic here in a minute, but I just want to catch up with you. Like, how have you been? What have you been doing? What are you up to? Dude, it has been crazy. And I know, so, and it, it's, we've, it, my life has changed since I last talked to you. Cause you, I mean, my life prior, I guess, pre COVID was educating people mainly for the Today Show. So every few months I'd go back to New York and I would be in studio and talking to people about animals and wildlife conservation. And then COVID happened and it was like, wait, wait, what? And I, you know, for listeners who don't know, I take care of over 30 different uh, rescued exotic animals. I started a reptile rescue when I was 12 years old, and I still have the majority of those animals. And so to fund, I mean, a lot of people ask me, how do you make money? How do you support the animals? And it's by doing live appearances. So it's by, you know, visiting schools, libraries, doing events. And that was completely like done. Like it was like done. So I, I honestly, uh, I, I had to pivot and, uh, I, <laughs> I know everyone probably hates that word, but it's been amazing. I, it's just bad to say, but I have found that this time with COVID gave me a chance to be so much more creative and I had to figure out what to do. And it's been great. We've been, you know, filming stuff on my back porch for the today show. I've been doing Instagram takeovers for them. I've been able to focus on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corbin Maxi. I've been able to focus on TikTok, which has exploded. Um, people are obsessed with my two rescued alligators, Choppers and uh, Chompers and Sonny. And so their, we, their videos have go viral. We average, I just looked at the stat, 20 million video views every month. Wow. And we are, we just hit over 600,000 followers. We're at like 630 now. It's insane. So I've been, COVID's been, I hate to say it, it's been a good time <laughs> for me to build my brand. I'm serious. It's that's been good. great. Oh, that it, sounds horrible. COVID's been great. <laughs> no, I, I think it's been great for a lot of things. I'm yeah. People spending more time at home with their family, realizing that I can just have fun in my backyard and look at birds or build squirrels picnic tables and <laughs> all these, you know, it is really like the more, the smaller things in life or even as an instructor, I had to completely change my in-person lectures to online. And of course there was some missteps here and there, but really asking the question, like, what do students want to learn? How do they learn best? And finding out that there's actually a lot of assignments that I could do online that only that really benefit the students, especially those that either uh, commute in to class and things like that. So I, mm. there's a lot of pros with it. I, I, I don't, I definitely think you're, you're right with that is in other zoos. I noticed uh, Lincoln park zoo, my old stomping grounds, they started doing all these amazing behind the scenes keeper chats and really yes. engaging the public. And they've always done a great job with their, their formal education, mm -hmm. uh, but this informal like keeper talk, like getting to know the animals and their names and whether they like watermelon versus cantaloupe better and then the public voting on it and just like all these fun things. So I, I don't, I think for a lot of uh, not only animal care professionals, but in general, I think a lot of industries aren't going to go back to doing the same things the exact same way. 
Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no. And I, I loved it. And, it, it. and by the way, a lot of it was trial and error. There were things that did not work for me online. And there were, you know, but you just, you find your little groove and what people like. And I found that my everyday life, for some reason, fascinates a lot of people. Like when I clean up alligator poop or I change a filter, my God, that is prime time video views. Like, I swear to God, it's so weird. I'm just like, it blows my mind and it's so exciting. And, 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 and like you said, like live videos, I just got done and I apologize. I was late. I still have sand on my knees from that sounds bad, but I was uh, in the alligator habitat. <laughs> I smell like a fish. And, but I was on TikTok live with 21,000 people That's around crazy. the world. And I'm, I'm not doing anything special. I'm not, I'm literally and chompers and Sonny, you've seen them. They're just like, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just, I'm just, just talking to people. And it's like, Anyway, so yeah, it's a thing. Oh, and I see you in there, and I think of your mom, and then now I saw your mom come in the other day. So I know, <laughs> I was laughing. I know, I know, oh. it's insane. I just I, people awesome. are really fascinated, and I've been able to improve habitats and expand habitats. I've had so much more time, and uh, you know, from not traveling so much. So it has been. I think it's been a blessing in disguise for me, and uh, we've been doing virtual shows. So now I do virtual shows for kids across the United States, which is so crazy. I, I do Zoom calls, and I, <laughs> and anyway, so that's been fun. Yeah, no, things have changed. Things have definitely changed in the past year. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then also, Animals to the Max podcast. You know, we're big fans too. So yes. Yeah. I just got, uh, I secured a celebrity guest. I was so happy. I got Jeff Corwin on the show. It was like, I finally got him. It was so neat. And I like pinched myself. Like, what am I doing talking to Jeff? I'm just like having a conversation. I told you after, before I hit record, I like missed his phone call. It was like, what? I'm just (laughs) so awesome. I know. I have his voicemail still saved on my phone. I'm going to keep it. Yeah, always. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Of course, of course, of course. Well, today, okay. So today we are going to talk about Seaspiracy. We've had a couple fans message us, say, get Corbin back on and talk about this documentary. Because was it Tiger King was the last time we spoke? Yes. It was. Oh, March. oh, my God. In yeah, March. What a crazy year. Yeah, what a crazy year. Oh, that, yeah. that was a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are again. But this one's a little bit different. This is, you know, I don't know, Angie, you want to kind of describe what it is or Corbin, what you thought. I was horrified, but yet I think I was manipulated. I'll get into that here in a minute. Really? I was, filmmakers. I was angry and I actually started C-Spiracy. Is it C-Spiracy? Yeah, C-Spiracy. I started mm-hmm. it a few months ago and then you messaged me and you're like, hey, can we do this? And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. I didn't finish it. So last night I finished it. I was irate at midnight. I was about to message you guys. I'm like, wait a second. It's midnight. That's not cool. Like I was like furious at what I saw. I just mind blown. Yes. Yes. That's pretty much how I was. I needed a palate cleanser after watching it. Uh, But so for our listeners out there, hopefully if you're listening, you have watched it. But if you haven't, in general, Seaspiracy is a documentary about overfishing. And it was released in Netflix in March, so just a couple months ago. And basically, the film producer, Ali Tabrizi, if I'm saying that right, he's 27, and he's an environmentalist from the UK, from Kent, who goes on this journey of trying to understand, I think it started with whaling, and just progresses throughout the hour and a half or two hours that the film is, the documentary is, to his own understanding about what's happening in the ocean with overfishing and that basically the impacts that fishing industry has on 
sea life, not just whales and dolphins, but on tuna, on the corals, I mean, on sharks. So he covers a lot of ground and, um, and throughout, throughout the film, it's so just some really devastating numbers and graphics about how the oceans are dying and sea life is dying. And so yeah, it's definitely a, a must watch, I think, for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll that uh, that's kind of, those are kind of my cliff notes. But this documentary has really a lot of people talking about it because there are once again a lot of facts and numbers in there and graphs and things like that uh, done in a really entertaining way because it is there is some entertainment to it, not in a positive way, but just in almost, I almost call, I wanted to call it like a shockumentary. I don't know if that's a real word or not. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but a lot of people have chimed in on this and said that uh, this filmmaker's take on the fishing industry is misconstrued. uh, And some of, some of the more out, some of the claims are a little either outdated or, um, exaggerated and that it's a really complex issue uh the fishing industry which for me i'm just you know uh, a quick um disclaimer i'm not a fish scientist i'm not an environmental scientist i'm not an ocean scientist or marine biologist so a lot of these topics i know for myself and probably for chris as well are a little bit out of our comfort zone uh but i will say that the filmmaker did a great job in making me want to learn more about these topics such as uh commercial fishing farm uh farm fishing uh whaling some of these Mm. just these really they are very very complex topics so chris and i kind of wanted to dive into the science behind some of them for our listeners out there that are like you uh corbin that were you know, pretty upset at midnight last night when they when they uh, finished the film. Yeah, Angie I, and Corbin, I I watched it again last night because when I first contacted Corbin a couple months ago, I had watched it fully. And I approaching this like always in all of our topics, we we are as scientists, we try to be neutral, find data. We're data driven. Corbin, we just did pilot whales. Uh, before we we talk to you and and promoting this episode that we're talking to you about to me that was the most disturbing and i really kind of went on a tangent (laughs) on our pilot whale episode and we could talk more about it in this one and then also the the dolphin cove in was it where is it tajit japan it's in Japan. Taiji. Taiji, oh, Japan. Horrible place. Oh, it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. But I, to me, like, that's more, that's where I felt I was being manipulated. It was to shock and anger me. So during the whole film, I carried that with me, like, ugh. Because just to jump into the Taiji, Japan thing real quick, they do slaughter 700 dolphins a year, which is hor- horrible, horrible. And so they do this whole thing about trying to sneak in there, document it. The movie uh, Dolphin Cove or the Cove movie, I I haven't watched it because it's one of those things like Angie and I talked about. Well, the things you just don't want to know about. Ignorance is bliss almost. Yeah. So looking at that, I mean, that issue alone, they are collecting dolphins for marine parks around the world. They are slaughtering dolphins. We've addressed whaling in Japan before. The Cliff Notes version is 
after World War II, the Japanese were, were, were very hungry and the U.S. occupation forces said, go get whales and dolphins to eat. So they did. And that's where the Japanese whaling industry really boomed. So now today, Japan's whaling for comfort food, not for survival, not for substance. substance. It is comfort food for a small percentage of Japanese that still eat it. They don't need whale meat. They don't need dolphin meat. So this slaughter happens and it's awful. It's horrifying. But I felt to be fair in this, looking at this from an objective standpoint, they use that in the movie to anger me because dolphins, like they they go on to talk about how 10,000 dolphins are killed off France every year. That's way more impactful than this, this dolphin hunt. So I don't know. I, I don't know what you feel about that or, or, or not, but either of you. Well, I have a quick question for both of you guys. After you finished the film, did either of you think, I'm never going to eat seafood again? Absolutely. Yes. And I Absolutely. actually thought about never even eating meat. Yes. And, and and I was happy, though. I don't, spoiler alert, I don't like seafood. So I was like, oh, good for me. I do like, <laughs> you know what's weird, though? I do like tuna, which is so weird. It's like cat food. I, I For some reason, I love it. I think it's because I love mayonnaise. It's just an excuse to eat mayonnaise, right? Yes, but I was sure. like, I will never touch it again. And then I talked to my wife uh, and I said, we're going to go meatless. I mean, we, we, I'm going to be honest. We try to be, to eat sustainably, but you guys in a perfect world, it, it, it doesn't always happen. And we, I, we do eat meat still. So I was like, you know, this week we really need to like, no, like let's stop. And so it really did open my eyes 100%. Yeah. And I think that that's one, one of the things that the film definitely got right that the filmmakers did uh, is it made waves about overfishing, right? I mean, the whaling is, of course, part of it. Like Chris said, they they, they hook you, pardon the pun. Uh, oh, God. I know. Oh. Ouch. I, I didn't even <laughs> no. plan that one. No, that was... <laughs> Jeez. Sorry. That was really good. I mean, uh, I, I am just... A, yeah. Anyways, so, but, but like Chris said, they talk about really shocking uh, by starting off in Taiji, Japan. And then once again, the filmmaker goes kind of on this quest afterwards to realize, well... You know, is that what's killing whales? Like, what else is killing whales and fish? And but throughout it, as he explores overfishing and and does a lot of uh, a lot of ex- like exploration just on his research on his own. Uh, although there was one shot where he was looking up something and it was like Wikipedia, and I'm like, well, I don't know if that's a scientific <laughs> journal, but uh, I, I would have probably edited that out. But whatever. Uh, but he really goes through, yeah, he really goes through like all sorts of topics. And at the end, though, you, I'd be interested to see our listeners. It did make me think more about seafood and. Coming, just being who I am and John and I, we've always tried to be very careful with our seafood consumption and we carry around a little, uh, it's called like the seafood watch pamphlet and it'll tell you what type of seafood is more sustainable than others and like yeah, sea bass, you should not eat Chilean, Chilean sea bass even though it's delicious because it is, uh, I don't know if it's endangered, but definitely the numbers are down. It's not a very sustainable wild caught fish. Whereas other fish are more sustainable. And so it's been in the back of my mind, but this movie really, or this film really brought it, brought it to the forefront to, as Corbin, as you said, not only like, huh, maybe I should give up seafood, but uh, maybe all meat or, uh, and I, and I, so I think it really, it got that right. But a lot of the naysayers about the film 
are are wondering if because it was so shocking, like Chris said in the beginning, uh, that it's 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 losing a lot of momentum to get people to make more actions involving like policy because just because uh, if a whole bunch of Americans or Europeans decide to become vegans, that's like, or not eat fish, let's say that that's not going to save the planet. That's not going to save the oceans. I, I agree with you, Angie. I think this film, I think does an amazing job of bringing an issue into the discussion. That is where I think this film is very important. It's important to watch. I felt the same way. I, I've been buying salmon, cooking salmon once a week, twice a week. I now buy salmon every other week. I, I've cut back on it because I was like, really made me think about it. Now, looking at it from an objective point of view, 3.2 billion people on this planet depend on seafood for up to 20% of their protein. It was, I saw a statistic. It was like 85% of the world will never see this film. They don't care about this film. They'll never hear about it. It's where a lot of the criticism coming in, like Angie said, is the Europeans, the Americans, Canadians, you know, the, the, the more, the people that watch Netflix that watch this stuff, even if they all decided to stop, you know, eating fish, it's, it's not going to change things. And so where the film, I think, misses the mark is it, it's like it's trying to convert people into being vegan or stop eating seafood instead of people taking action. Right. Like they even right. and, and I want to talk about the dolphin safe thing and the MSC thing because we promoted that in the past in the podcast. But it didn't I, I wasn't left with a sense of what can I do? besides making me feel horrible for being a human being <laughs> yeah. and eating seafood. Right, right. We're horrible. I woke we're, up, we're horrible. I know. And I disagree. I'm happy he put the dolphin and Taiji in there. It was disgusting, but I'm happy that he put a spotlight on it because a lot of people don't know about it. The Cove, I think, came out in like 06. Don't quote me on it, but it was years ago. And so this is an updated look at a horrific industry that's still going on. I also thought... In the back of my mind, all those people who are against SeaWorld and Blackfish, have they seen this? Like, why don't you focus your attention on this? Excellent point. And the Mm -hmm. the stuff that's going on. I think it's disgusting. Um, I just the 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 whole industry, I think, is disgusting. Um, But it's hard because at the end, when they're slaughtering a family group of uh, pilot whales, which is the worst scene, a pregnant, you know, uh, female with a calf. you know, and they talk to the whaler and he's, you know, comparing it to like eating chicken or salmon and this and that. I'm just like thinking, oh, my God, I just, um, oh, I just it's disgust. I can't I, I can't believe this still happens. Like when they so in the scene, there's a big a congregation of people on the banks of this bay waiting for the pilot wells to be driven in. And I thought they were going to be protesters. No, these are people there to help and kids. And I'm just like, what? This is still happening. It's very barbaric. Yeah. It's so barbaric. It is 2021. Are we, are you serious? <laughs> right. Especially, are you, I know. What? Especially we know so much about uh, whales and dolphins and their culture and just how intelligent they are. And that doesn't make, uh, you know, is a dolphin life better than a chicken's life? I mean, that's a different philosophical debate for a different day. But I can say one of those animals has been domesticated. One of those animals has been bred to create 
food and protein for humans. The other has not, right? That's a really good point. Because I was thinking like we eat pigs and they are so smart. I mean, but I, it's not. Yeah, that's a really good point you made. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and and there's all, uh, as far as domestic animals go here in the U.S. and, and, and I, I know in, in, the, uh, in the European Union, there's all sorts of welfare that goes behind uh, slaughtering those animals. And welfare when they're alive and then welfare during the time of death. So uh, that's not really taken into account in any of these whale drives. I, I'm okay. Here we go. Here, strap, strap yourselves in. Here we go. All right. Because <laughs> I, I, I really held back in the pilot whale podcast as best I could. But I feel like this episode, we, we, we can give more opinion. It, and and I will say to fault the film, some of the criticism leveled at it was they did let that guy speak. So, that, but they didn't let some of these other people speak that that do fisheries that that work on some of this. Oh stuff. yeah, I mean when you're ready yeah. to do film faults, I have like five. Bullets. Yeah, so it's like, let me let know, me know when you're ready to do that. But I also have pros. I mean they 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 got a lot of things right and they got some things wrong and. Definitely one of the things that got wrong is just a general rule of science is there was not a diversity of views. So most of the interviewees were white from the Western world. They had very little uh, fishery scientists on there. Uh, And they didn't really have, as Chris mentioned, like managers from other companies or from the industrial fishing complex. Uh, So it's, it's definitely one-sided yeah, on a lot yeah. of these topics. So which, they did let they they did let this this whale murderer, you know, on to say, oh, <laughs> you know, why does I eat this whale meat that's so nutritious for me, that's laced with mercury and and all these plastic pollutions and everything else that they can't they can only eat it once per month. All right. So here's the statistics on this. So this is the if you didn't listen to our pilot whale episode, it, 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 what it is at the end of the film, it's very horrific. Is very shocking, and and I am glad they put that in with with the Taiji. I wish, and I guess they couldn't get any footage because three hundred thousand whales and dolphins are killed by by catch every year. I wanted mm. to see more of that because that's mm. more impactful to the populations. But needless to say, what's going on in Taiji and the Faroe Islands is barbaric. It's inhumane. It is. It, it needs to stop. I am a big believer that what they're doing is 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 beyond. It is absolutely beyond. So what it is, is the Faroe Islands. They're 200 miles northwest of Scotland. About 50,000 people live on there. Only about 40% of the people actually eat any whale meat. So 20,000 people. They don't need the meat. They have a robust ag system. They raise cattle. They raise sheep. They import pork because that's their favorite meat. They don't need it for, for survival. Versus, say, an Inuit in Alaska who mm. does not have a grocery store, that does not have food readily available, needs to go hunt whales to survive. I get that. I don't. I, I wish we could get them food or something else that they could eat because I'm sure it's it's not as pretty as, as we imagine. But anyways, what goes on in the Faroe Islands is nothing but tradition that's... For a thousand years, they've whaled. Most of those thousand years was to survive. Again, they don't need this anymore. So 
what happens, and from a scientist point of view, an animal behaviorist, I've studied stress, animal stress. That was my bread and butter. I, in behavior studies that Angie did, that Angie was involved with, to others I've done on my own, my PhD thesis, I understand stress and I understand how animals are stressed. From the start of this hunt, when they gather them up in these boats and herd them, this pod, this tight social family group of mothers, daughters, sons, grandmothers, they all live to be, what was it, like 60 years, Angie, in the wild? Yeah, they, about 45 to 60. Yeah. Ugh, I'm getting chills, man. Oh, it's so, yeah, it makes talking. me so angry. It makes me so angry. So the second that whale hunt starts, these animals are incredibly stressed. Cortisol dumping in their body from herding them towards the shore into a cove and then getting them aligned so they can be killed. Uh, These animals are under intense stress and are suffering, period. That is not how modern ag works, you know, with with our our slaughter plants in the U.S. and Europe, Canada, elsewhere, where the animal doesn't even know. I was explaining this to, to my partner last night, Pippa. You know, Temple Grandin, somebody Angie and I were fortunate enough to meet a few years back, has helped design a lot of systems where the animal, I explain it like the animal walks in, doesn't even know what's going on, and bam, is is dead instantly, right? It's very humane. Versus, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't quite that humane. These whales are stressed from the very beginning. If they don't line up right on the beach, they will hook them in the head with metal hooks and drag them. Oh and what they God. weigh like three, four, five thousand pounds. That's extremely painful. That's suffering. That's torture. And then they cut them the spinal cord. Well, they, they do can- the cervical dislocation, which is uh, for several species, it's been identified as. Uh, the most hum- uh, humane way to end their lives, especially uh, with rodents and uh, mice and rats and things like that. Uh, but when you, you think of an animal that has to, where you have to cut through inches and inches and inches of blub- blubber to even get to the spinal cord to do a cervical dislocation, I mean, it's just. What do they do? Do they use a hatchet? Yeah, that's it's what, like a. That's yeah. what it looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was, a, it was a long knife or sword or something that it looked like. And it, and on the beach, you see the mother with the baby right next to her, and <sighs> you know. So when they look at the data, they look at the amount of they they kill about eight hundred pilot whales a year. If you look at all the meat that's harvested, the Faroese people can't eat all those whales. So most of that meat, they believe, or ha- at least half of it, if not more, is used as fish food or for other byproducts. They've actually found dead whales after being killed just floating in the ocean. They were never even harvested. It, it is just so wrong. And in the podcast, I talked to Angie. And oh, by the way, like I said earlier... The the whale meat is contaminated with mercury, DDT, PCBs, all of these things in the oceans. So the Faroese, they, they can only safely eat it once a month. That's it. They can't eat it all the time. So it's a comfort food. It's a traditional food. And I told this to Angie in the podcast. I was like, well, if we can go to Asia and stay, stop using rhino horn, stop carving ivory, stop 
collecting pangolins, stop eating fruit bats and other things. Why can't we tell the Farinese to stop killing whales? It, 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 they don't need it. They absolutely don't need it. So that was one of the part of the film where I said, right, okay, I've got to be a bigger voice because this is wrong. From a scientist point of view, from a personal point of view, it is absolutely 100% wrong. And I'm ashamed and they should be ashamed. Yeah. I, they're so intelligent. It's it's almost like killing people. I'm going to probably get flagged for that, but who cares? I'm I'm so, <laughs> yeah. I'm so bitter towards Karens and haters these days. I'm just yeah, like, know, whatever. I, know, yeah. Um, I, I think it's so disgusting. It's wrong. I can't believe it's 2021 and it's still happening. And I don't think a lot of people know it's happening still. I really don't. I no, truly and, don't. And that's that's what this film got right about a lot of things uh, is, is bringing – attention to people that aren't really in the know about ocean conservation or uh, just how, how what's happening in the oceans and the whaling industry. And uh, of course is horrible. And I, I think a lot of people didn't realize this was going on. So there's that. And, and that is something that is just that Chris and I are obviously very passionate about and you too, Corbin. So we're all on the same page with that. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. But I have to ask, was did anything else grab you guys throughout the film? Because I, I was moved by a couple other claims uh, and uh, problems with the ocean that the uh, filmmaker brought up. Plastic straws. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Chris, did uh, do you have? Yeah. Any- oh, so ahead. yeah, it's you know we always do plastic free July. We'll we'll do it again. Uh, this definitely this. July, we'll, we'll we'll do that. I think it was. Did you feel where, like you? Did you feel like uh, the plastic straws? Though, like we were just wasting our time with them. I mean, because yes. that's basically that was 100%, the author's claim. Yeah, yeah. No, I okay, okay. No, I, I think we we I think plastic straws are are a good start in the discussion, mm-hmm. getting people to think about the plastics in the ocean. Mm-hmm. I down here in New Zealand, our straws are paper. 
So we I'm don't starting have to see straws. more of that in Florida. Yeah. How about you, yeah. Corbin? More paper straws? Oh, God, no. I'm in Idaho where <laughs> people don't Idaho. believe global warming is real. <laughs> okay. Are you kidding me? You wear a mask in our store and it's like, oh, boy. He's one of, the, he's, <laughs> he's he's one one of those. those. <laughs> he voted He voted for Hillary. No, I mean, <laughs> which I did not. <laughs> okay. So, anyway. Well, but, but what's really interesting. <laughs> so... What uh, one of the fact checking things I want to know is um, the filmmakers claim that uh, the great the great Pacific Garbage Patch, which a lot of people watching this film may have never heard about. So I was really happy that he brought up this huge floating plastic area uh, three times the size of France uh, in between Hawaii and California, just the way that the circulation of the Pacific waters go uh, and growing. I'm glad that he brought that up because not every, I I teach this to every uh, opening animal behavior and ecology class. I always open with it. And I'm always, I'm always surprised by how many students haven't heard of this. So anyways, I I was happy that that was in the film, but saying that about 46% or 50% of the um, of the great Pacific garbage patch was fishing nets is somewhat misleading. So fishing nets that are left over from, uh, commercial fisheries, uh, definitely pose a huge problem to sea life. I mean, we've all seen the videos of animals tangled in it and, uh, and caught up in it or consuming some of it, things like that. Um, but, Straws are also a problem, as is any other piece of plastic, especially uh, those the single-use plastics, because the study that was cited was from 2018, and it was based on plastic that floats, so what you would only see at a surface skim, and that was about 46% of fishing nets. But in reality, if you look at it more on a three-dimensional basis, a 2000 study, a study from 2019, showed that a lot of those lighter plastics like straws and things like that float down to the bottom. So where the nets don't, the nets are more buoyant with buoys and things like that. And they float. So it's probably somewhat of a overstatement to say that fishing nets are so much more horrific in the, uh, in the Pacific garbage patch than straws and other, other microplastics. And, and that to me, that's what's unfortunate about these filmmakers is you know, as scientists, we, Angie and, and as educators, you know, even Corbin, you try to be as accurate as possible. You, we double, we triple check things. We do say things that are wrong. I guarantee it. But when they go and start throwing statistics out like this that aren't correct, it undermines the whole film. So that's where I get a little angry. Not angry. Right. Because I get a little, it, yeah, it's a little it. disheartening or my, it takes away, it might take, like somebody like myself who, had a really bad feeling after they watched that and wanted to say like, Oh, this film is just making all this stuff up and exaggerating it. And then they come to find out that some of the statistics have been either are either outdated or not fully, not, not showing the full story of it. Uh, Then that makes people that already like question science, question it more. And so, I mean, the point that fishing nets are a huge problem of plastic uh, disposal in the ocean and harming animals. Yes. And is it more than straws? Yes. Um, do straws only account the author claim that do straws only account for 0.03% of plastics in the ocean? 
I, nobody's really quantified that number or they did, but it's just hard to really, to know as far. I mean, it's definitely lower. Straws are definitely lower than fishing gear. That, that's what it should, that should have been the point. And, and then, okay, why is, and then why is the fishing gear there? And then as Chris pointed out at the very beginning of our talk, well, what do we do about it? Like, why is nobody caring about all this leftover fishing? Why, if you're a fisherman, I mean, I mean, at my family farms and we have to prove, I mean, that our, I mean, there's like a policy for everything. And then they come, they, you know, they, they'll do inspections, spontaneous inspections. And I mean, we have to account for all these materials all of the time. And so I think it's a great thing to bring up about fishing that material and plastics in the ocean but why not bring up some solutions? Like what's being done? What can we do? How can I help? Who Who is supporting that? I mean, you know, they, uh, the film kind of gives a little bit of negative spin towards the plastic pollution coalition. And that's one of the people mm -hmm. he interviewed and they were like, you know, I don't know or whatever. And uh, why don't you talk about fishing nets? And they, they didn't really seem, they seemed caught off guard. And, and I think the way that this the film spun a few of the nonprofits, uh, Plastic Pollution Coalition, and then also Oceana, mm -hmm. was a little bit misleading. I mean, uh, no NGO, no nonprofit is perfect. We know that some do things better than others, um, and I just thought that it was a little bit unfair because uh, these uh, Oceana, I mean, they're working hard for the ocean. I mean, they do, a, they do a lot and they actually do a lot to try to work on sustainable fishing as well. And that was not brought up in the film whatsoever. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, um, ugh, yeah, I know you guys, maybe I'm going to disagree with you guys. I really liked the film. I thought <laughs> no, we do they like got it. We do. people. <laughs> they, I think it's getting people. Uh, I think it's awakening a lot of people. I like how he brought up the whaling. I think the overfishing, I think people need to stop eating as much meat. I know you guys do a lot of meatless Mondays. Like, Oh I yeah. After, after this, I'm doing meatless months. I mean, seriously. I know that's, that's yeah. what I mean yeah. though. And then the fact, and then I really brought, I really liked how they, you know, talked about how, you know, a lot of people regard fish as these animals that maybe don't feel pain. And then you see one getting hacked alive in front of his family and the fish are like looking at it through the tank. I know. That I, was so sad. <laughs> I, I understand it's anthropomorphism. I get it. It touched me. And I think people need to see it. And I no. think that I, I think people need to see it. I get it. The stats maybe aren't exactly no, where no, they need no. to be, but I I thought he did a good job. We, I agree with you. It, it's just it. I from the very beginning, I said I, I felt things have to be sensationalized. Who's going to watch a boring documentary with scientists? Facts. I mean, I would, but people be... That's us, you know, we're nerds. We're big nerds. Can you please quote nature science and show me what year and who the author was? <laughs> exactly. So that's not going to sell. That is not going to trend. Number It was it was trending here in New Zealand. It was it was the number oh, one film in New wow. Zealand for a couple of weeks oh, wow. on Netflix. So, and, and fishing's huge, huge down here. So, no, I, I the film's very important. It, it, it's got Abs us talking. I, I mean... I, yes, I really think that it needs to be watched. I just, once again, I know that in this day and age, there seems to be a lot of people that are not open to, there. there's no gray area is not really allowed. You're either this or you're that, oh, or yeah. this, you're, you're this team or that team. And so I want people to watch, 
so I just wouldn't want people to watch it to be like, oh, it's sensationalized. I'm not doing anything. Everything's fine. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. You don't want – okay. I yeah. I kind of see what you're talking about. That's, like, I don't scientists. Want people, that's how we are. Yeah, and so – I'm a – hey, hold on. I'm a scientist too. You're I paid enough too. for that degree. I'm looking at it <laughs> right true, now. It's the most true. expensive thing <laughs> in my life. <laughs> as scientists. And, you know, but I'm saying, like, as scientists, we And by the way, so. my degree helps me so much with my TikTok videos. So please, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> that's right. As, as scientists. <laughs> that's right. Well, I mean, it's – but okay. So for instance uh, – what about the claim that by 2048, the oceans will be dead? Oh, yeah, that was shocking. That's yeah, a pretty baller. I mean, that's that's jaw dropping, right? Yeah. And that's where it get, the film takes a hit. And because that statistic, even the, the original author of that paper went back and said the statistic was, was wrong. It That's not true. It's doing a, a disservice by by highlighting that it was a 2006 study they've gone back and retracted that data that it, it's it's a false statistic so again as like we said as scientists all of us it's <laughs> <laughs> it's true you know what i mean it just it cuts into credibility and that's where i get it now i will say this i and, and we'll put the link up you go to their website and their claims are are, are sourced they mm-hmm. break the film down. Yes. It's very nicely done. Uh, again, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate with it because there's a couple things I want to talk about that the film nailed right on. And, you know, it, 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 the oceans are in deep trouble. We, they are. Absolutely. And, we and cannot I, ignore this. We can't and I love it. that it did, hopefully, for people that had no idea, uh, they've, I guess, been living in a cave or something. And, you know, not, not, they're in Idaho, not using plastic, they're not using paper straws <laughs> or wearing masks. Uh, if they ended up watching this, that they're like, whoa, the oceans are going to be empty by 2048. And maybe, maybe start listening and start thinking about it. And with our interview, uh, one of my favorite interviews of all time, um, with, with Chris Fisher from O-Search is all about what they do for shark conservation and research with that, um, with that nonprofit. But his, one of, one of his quotes is always like, I want sharks to be healthy in the ocean because healthy oceans have lots of sharks and healthy oceans that have lots of sharks also have lots of fish. And I love fish sandwiches. So if you want to eat a fish sandwich, then you need to help conserve the oceans and conserve sharks. And so, I, I love that quote because it is it's it's a little bit more realistic than saying everybody can stop eating seafood. Uh, and I hope that people out there will be more aware of their consumption, lower their consumption if they have the ability to because uh, of where they live and they they have that privilege to make a lot of choice. Of course, there's billions of people uh, in in uh, lesser developed countries that don't have that choice. And that's where the commercial fishermen are actually taking some of their livelihood, which I thought that was a fascinating point I never heard before. Uh, And if you take away, like in the Western coast of Africa, if you take away uh, the fish these fishermen need in their village to eat by commercial fishing, and then the traditional fishermen don't have any fish, they're going to go on land and start poaching. I think that was a really good point he brought up. I'm mm-hmm. really happy they highlighted that. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I loved how it, it did. It really got me thinking, got us talking. I, I mean, I, and kudos to the filmmaker for, for doing that. Um, and something, I don't know about you guys, uh, something that really kind of 
uh, ruffled my feathers, for lack of better terms, uh, was uh, the little excerpt he did on shark finning. And just thinking about that. And it made me really angry and really sad. uh, And it it made me want to find um, it's Chris. Uh, Chris or Corbin, we all interview conservation specialists and animal uh, animal experts. We need to find somebody that knows about this shark finning stuff, and that it, it, that will. It's a multi billion dollar industry, and it's just crazy. I mean, it's over a hundred million sharks yeah. a year. Yeah, a hundred million sharks a year are killed. About fifty of them, fifty million are bycatch. So that's a problem, and that needs to be fixed by genius people that know how to do that. But the other 50 is probably for finning, right? Or maybe not that high, but a large portion is from, from shark finning, uh, for these traditions, uh, and, uh, primarily in Asia for shark fin soup. And I just looking at these, we know shark populations are in decline. I'm not, I didn't fact check his, uh, the author's or the filmmakers numbers, but just from the people that Chris and I have talked to, we know that they're down and just that scene of the filmmaker in the market and all in the back, in the background, it was just raw hide shark fins. I just, it's disgusting. It I was am so tired of these countries. It was, I just, it was, I just couldn't even that, that for me, I, I, uh, I I know Chris for the obviously the in, the last scene with the whales of course is probably the most shocking but f- honestly for me the shark finning was what really 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 got me and I, it's one of these things I know about it I just don't I'm not very educated on it and so he touched on it and that's kind of the author I that that's one of my small complaints because I am such a science dork or whatever or conservation dork he touched on the filmmaker touched on shark finning. He touched on corals, right? Chris and I are very passionate about corals, and we've talked to um, Chris. Help me out. It was uh, uh, Dan Coral Reef Foundation. Yeah, Dan from the Coral Reef Foundation. Um, all about what they're trying to do to help make corals sustainable and and grow them and re regrow them, I should say. So I wanted more on all of that, but. Once again, I think it was like it may be like an introductory lesson for people that don't really know about all of these issues that are happening in the oceans. And I just I'm going to make it my mission this next year to learn more about shark finning and what us. Well, let me what ask we can do, what our listeners can do. So, Corbin, you know, we talked about this for the very first episode. We we Mm. were lucky enough to have you on. As a wildlife, so educator. lucky. Oh, well, so you know, lucky. back we, when we, we were green, I know we were <laughs> like, like babies. What's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Our audio is awful. No, oh, so yeah. you know, because you always talk about when you go on these shows and you do these things, trying to get conservation messages across. Mm-hmm. So, does something like shark finning? I know you're 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 with your alligators every day and and things like that. But if you went to an aquarium and you're like, look at this, and then this real fact, real quick, you know, does, does this stuff drive you and, and form what you do or push what you do? Yeah, I, I'm i always a pusher for the misunderstood species. I think that's why I was so drawn to reptiles. That's why I'm always yeah. trying to push these shows to showcase uh, some, you know, of the misunderstood animals. It is, it's a very fine line, though, when you... Um, when you are on these shows, because you have to handle those types of messages very delicately because 
there have been times I won't mention these shows, but there, there are times when you want to bring up something heavy like a conservation, but it needs to be light enough that someone's not going to choke over their morning cereal when yeah. they're watching it because yeah, you, yeah. I, you can't go on. It can't be all doom gloom. Um, so it's a fine line as a wildlife spokesperson that I do walk. I am so happy though. Um, I, I mean, I, I love the today show so much cause they do give me a great, um, they allow me to create my talking points and my producers go through it. And they, I mean, I'm always able to get some sort of conservation cause right now we're at the point of like, why are we doing this? Why, why is an animal in studio? Why do we have a, let's say a cheetah on a leash next to a dog? Like, why are we talking about them? And that was one of my favorite conservation. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to side on a side story, but I remember talking to Jenna Bush and we had this cheetah from the turtleback zoo, an accredited zoo with her companion puppy. And when I said the stat that there are less than 7,000 cheetahs in the world, she looked at me and said, wait, wait, what? Wait, wait, what? So to be able to do that, I feel like that's like my job well done to be able to tell a few million people this is what's going on or to highlight I'm looking at Aurora, my favorite penguin in the world, an endangered African penguin. And to talk about how this zoo is, you know, Aurora is part of a captive breeding program. And guess what, ladies? There's a rumor that she has a boyfriend. Fingers crossed we have a chick. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. so see, look, I just got Angie. She's like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but that's how but it's a fine line. And that's how I'm able to do it. Um, we have brought sharks on the Today Show, which is so crazy to think about, the little baby ones. But uh, it's just a fine line you walk, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it is something that should be addressed because I don't yeah. think people, a lot of people know about shark finning at no, all. No, it's, it's a horrible thing. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible practice. And Well, and sharks too, of course, have a little bit more of a negative connotation with a lot of people. They're not always the, the cute, fuzzy penguins of the world, right? Or, no. So you've got a lot. There's They have to get over the kind of stereotypes or the fear first to then move, well, you know, why should we save them or why should we care about this type deal? Yeah. Well, we know with our special episode with Corbin, you know, when animals attack. When animals attack. Oh my God. <laughs> like, what did we do? What did we, we do? Did, when- yeah, we did the, we did it like two years ago, wasn't it? When animals attack and we did like, you know, the number one killer, if anybody remembers. Mosquito, right? Yeah, mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That was the day. And I, yeah. the stat that you're more likely to be killed by a cow or a coconut. Yeah, um, than a shark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less yeah. than 10 can I, can I say something, though? I recently, I was snorkeling um, in the, um, the Mesoamerican Reef in Mexico uh, like a few months ago. And I was telling my wife, it, it, the area was pretty desolate of of marine life. And I remember we saw one shark, but I remember looking at her saying, you know, hun, like back in the day, there were thousands of sharks and that's what keeps a healthy ecosystem. So I think even seeing it firsthand is just alarming. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And one of the things I wanted to jump into and you, you started it off with eating tuna. Yes. And the two, the two, the dolphin safe tuna and then the MSC. The Marine Stewardship Council. So I was really curious to kind of fact check that a little bit. And I always want to preface this, that that my family, even though they're no longer fishermen, they, they were tuna fishermen. Um, my family helped found Starkist Tuna back in the day out of LA. What? Yeah, San Pedro, like my uncles and yeah. Chris, my, how do I not know this about How do you? I not know this? I have Are probably spent like hundreds of hours of my life talking to you, which yeah. I love. <laughs> 
I told you, fishermen. My family is all fishermen. My grandfather was a yeah. You know, but I'm thinking of like and, you know throwing out a line. Like I come from a family of fishermen, uh, like hobbyists. Oh, commercial. Okay, yes. My my family was commercial fishermen for oh, many years. Interesting. And no oh. longer involved in it. Sold off the tuna fleets, all that stuff. So they were probably part of the problem, and they wouldn't <laughs> want me around a dinner table anymore. <laughs> I'd be like, "How many dolphins have you killed in your life?" Oh, uh, probably quite a bit, but. You know, I so I it, it just it, it, I'm very interested in tuna, and just really quick of the species of tuna, the, they do cover the bluefin tuna is critically endangered, and in the film I forgot it was like forty fifty grand a hundred grand. It's a hundred grand, yeah, for, for some of these for fish because they're so rare, so they're critically endangered. Yellowfin tuna is near threatened. Albacore tuna is near threatened. That's what's in most of our cans. And pouches. Mm-hmm. The big eye tuna is vulnerable, and the skipjack tuna is the only one that's least concerned. Also, a lot of a lot of worry that there's high levels of mercury in these fish. Probably things like we find in our our whale meat. I have some cans of tuna in my pantry right now. It's I it's probably going to reduce my tuna consumption because I didn't realize all those species were were near threatened or heading towards extinction. I didn't either, and yeah. I love sushi, so that is I know. a you have problem. To stop. You have yeah. to stop. Yeah, California rolls, here I come. Yeah, oh. I know, with or, imitation yeah. crab. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. But, it, veggie so, rolls. Yeah. So my question was, is dolphin safe tuna really safe? Because in the film, they're like, it's a bunch of BS. Mm-hmm. It's not. From my digging, now all of this dolphin safe tuna started in 1990. In response to videos of tuna fishermen, probably my family, I don't know, of probably not, but <laughs> dolphins getting on board, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they did start this dolphin safe tuna initiative. Now, in the film, they go in and attack it and say it's not dolphin safe, it's baloney, these guys are paid off. You know, it's a lot of accusations without any evidence. And to me, you start to lose some credibility. Like uh, Mark Palmer from the Earth Island Institute, he you know he was interviewed in there, and he came out and said they took his statements out of context in the film. And he said, "We don't know. We the, you know they they made it seem like he was saying dolphins are dying out there in, in vast numbers. It's just not being reported." So, from what we know, dolphin safe tuna in the United States is relatively pretty sure it's dolphins free, you know, dolphin safe, that no dolphins were killed in the How do we know, in, though? In I bi-catch. think it's a load of crap. I, well, it's he their, convinced it's, me. I'm serious. It's, it's, How do it's we the, know? It's their fishing methods and then NOAA and some other institutes. So here's the data that kind of convinced me a little bit. So at the height in the 70s, mid-70s, about 252,000 dolphins were, were killed in the Eastern Pacific Ocean. This is where Jeez. my uncles were out fishing. You know, that's where a lot of tuna were fishing. Then it, it dropped in the 1980s and then spiked again. So after dolphin safe, so you were at a high of like 100,000 dolphins killed per year in bycatch. It crashed. It went down to 15,000 in 1992, 1,600 in 2000 to 778 in 2019. So you've seen a major drop in dolphins killed each year with tuna 
in the Eastern Pacific Ocean. So from what I could research and find, generally in the U.S., yes. But elsewhere in the world, we don't know. We don't know how strict it is. So when they talk about 10,000 dolphins are killed off the coast of France every year, don't know if that affects the, the tuna because all these countries have all the, the dolphin safe labeling. I will say this too, the, the three big companies, Starkist, Bumblebee, Chicken of the Sea are being sued right now that they, they're hiding their numbers, things like that, that so, so there may be some things that come out with that. I will say too, where this is where I think the film does a disservice. They go after the dolphin safe label they don't talk about all the other wildlife that are killed in bycatch. Sure. Talking mm-hmm. sea turtles, birds. I mean, we're talking albatross. It's a huge issue with albatross they being ma- killed. They mentioned sea turtles in um, briefly, briefly, and seabirds. Seventy percent are in a decline. Yeah, yeah, seabirds are are crashing, crashing. So, you know, they go after the dolphin safe thing. I, I just don't. I, I think they they do a disservice a little bit. I think they could have went after, you know, not just tuna fishermen, but other fishermen. Like, look at all this wildlife that's being killed, you know, by these methods in these countries. So, I don't know. That was just my opinion. But Well, and Chris, talking about bycatch in general, it's, a, it's obviously a huge problem. And the film touches on it. And we see some pictures of sharks and turtles and other things that are being caught in the nets. And I feel like some engineer or something needs to come up with a way that this doesn't happen right but it's also a little bit misleading because a lot of the bycatch is actually sold so it's not like it's so there's a difference between bycatch and discard uh discard means it's in the net and then they like it's dead and they like throw it back out in the ocean but a lot of the bycatch is actually kept and then sold for whatever type of fish it is right uh and so it's not like it's all waste it's just they weren't targeting you know it's considered bycatch if they're targeting tuna and they get you know grouper but they'll still go sell the grouper or whatever so it's not as wasteful as i think the film made it seem but it's still a huge huge problem hello everyone you may recognize me as gabby from the history of everything podcast And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Now, it is, it is, and... and... You know, like I am going to reduce my tuna consumption just because of the fact that species are all in decline heading towards extinction. So I don't want to contribute to that. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we need to yeah. cover the bluefin tuna yeah. on the podcast so I can definitely learn more about it myself. Right, right. Because that, you know, that that concerns me as a conservationist is 
Yeah. All those species are in decline. Well, and I didn't realize though that the tuna tuna alone is a forty-two billion dollar industry. That was huge. It's, it's bonkers. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, I, it blows my mind. I know for me personally, I'm not going to eat tuna anymore. I rarely get it, and so I'm going to kind of. I'm good. Um, egg salad, egg salad sandwiches instead of tuna salad. Oh. <laughs> His face, he's like, oh, <laughs> no, no, thank no. you. Oh God, no! But you like I, the mayo. You, said I, you I, like I know. I honestly, I know. I think it's an excuse for me to love mayo. No, I. Uh, you know, honestly, I used to get tuna all the time, and then my wife told me because we go to Subway and I get the tuna, and she's like, "Honey, I literally can't be in a room next to you eating that. Like, I'm about to barf." So I was like, "Okay." She I'll... is a smart Michigan woman. Yes, I, she I, is. Yes, she is. Good for uh, her. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I, I know I'm going to stop eating it. It. it, it impact to me i think we all need to be more conscious of where we eat our meat i think that we eat way too much meat yes um and i'm talking about myself too i'm not a perfect angel um what stop i what i'm like up here on my high horse like we need to do this and that i mean i think there we all can make little changes and i'm speaking for yeah. myself as well no it's true it's true well the so the other one is they go after this a marine stewardship council Doing some digging on this because we've promoted it a couple of years ago on the podcast and talked about how, you know, they have that label. So it's sustainable fishing, right? And like Paul Watson from Sea Shepherd talks about the sustainability tag. I absolutely agree with him. Everybody's slapping that on everything. Oh, this is sustainable when it's not. Um, so the Marine Stewardship Council... I feel like the film got some of it right that there is some dubious stuff going on with them. I believe, you know, they, they have labeled uh, certain fisheries that are not sustainable and they've been criticized for that. And the world wildlife fund who helped start the MSC 20 years ago, but they even came out in 2018 and said, hey, there's some problems with what you're running this. And they they actually criticized them and laid out a plan for them to get back onto what their original mission was. So I think the film gets some of that right. There could be money involved, whoever's running that organization. So I think we have to be a little bit more skeptical with these things, these labels coming out. Like the funniest thing is like I go and, and – on like you said on meat and it's like gluten-free meat i'm like come on like, it's like <laughs> right. it's just meat a doesn't label yeah. meat doesn't have it <laughs> or, i'm like seriously yeah i think the same's gonna come out about like organic you know i mean honestly with the meat and you know i i don't know i think there's a lot well yeah. it, and it is it is tough because a lot of it depends on how you know, I mean, there's, there's like a lot of small, I'm sure a lot of small fisheries and a lot of small farmer, organic farmers that are able to keep things the way they need to be to get their certifications. Um, and then, you know, there's these larger farms that, uh, you know, you have to wonder how are they able to do it and things like that. So, I mean, that's a whole different pod for a different day. But after watching, uh, after watching Seaspiracy, it begged the question for me, and I want to ask this of you guys. Do you think sustainable farm fisheries are possible? Because that's one thing that he touches on a little bit. It's like, okay, well, wild caught's not uh, potentially not sustainable. And Chris said, and some of his digging says it probably is, but we need to keep an eye on it. What if we like, well, what about farmed fish, right? Like they, they, you know, they, 
he pinpoints that as being horrible. Um, but there's, there's pros and cons to farm fish, right? So, I mean, obviously a pro is that it's taking pressure off the wild population, right? It stops bycatch, it stops illegal fishing, seafloor damage, uh, killing of endangered species, and dangerous work conditions. Those were all mentioned as benefits of farm fisheries in the film. But the cons are pretty heavy too, like pollution, uh, all that waste, a disease of the fish, the sea lice that they have. Chris mentioned in the podcast we, t- we had the other day about uh, potentially re- uh, releasing, accidentally releasing some of these um, genetically modified fish. Uh, yeah. And then, and then uh, 50% of fish that's consumed um, on your table is, is farmed. Well, and, but, and also we learned in school how, how bad they are because they feed those farm fish other fish. I have an idea. What if we fed the farm fish insect protein? Come on, come on, come yes. on. Yes. I mean, yes. like that's exactly yes. Yes. like, yes. so I, I just walked away a little bit confused. Like, okay, I, I can't eat wild caught fish. Uh, I probably shouldn't eat farm fish. I don't know. Uh, so I don't know what your, what your opinion was on that Corbin. I, uh, I agree with you. What do you do? My opinion was, I guess we're going to become vegan and it sucks because I really don't like vegetables. So that's a problem. Um, oh, so, no. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love a good baked potato, but on a serious note, um, I was just going to say, I agree with you, Angie. It did kind of leave you. It seemed like there was a very strong agenda to push becoming a vegan. It was like, it was almost like we were fed all this horrific information about whaling, shark fin soup, um, the the overfishing, the tuna industry. And then at the very end, it was like, here you go, become a vegan. And then it almost felt like, oh, wow, okay, I guess that's what, yeah. And it seemed that was like, was it a hidden agenda? I don't know, but it almost definitely seemed a little push like that. And I don't think that answer is wrong for a lot of people. No. I just don't think it's realistic. I, I agree because then other people will see it like my parents who are completely yeah. right wing, like, Oh, well, this is her. This is complete trash and disregard the film and maybe disregard other claims about the whaling. Like you mentioned the overfishing, you know what I mean? Well, what's going on? So I agree. It seemed a little too far one-sided. I think there could have been a healthier balance maybe. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and don't you think that's one of the major criticisms of the film? And it's, it's interesting as I listen to you both talk about it, and I really wasn't going to bring this up because I just, you know, one of the slides I had is the film is funded by Kip Anderson, who's a vegan activist. And yeah, he owns a vegan recipe subscription service, planet based. Oh no. I know. You're hurting my soul. And there's nothing wrong about vegan people. I think they're great. I know vegan people. I love them. it, It does. It, again, that's the credibility thing, and that's oh, where it's no. just like it just it, it it kind of is upsetting when you're trying to be objective and you find out where the money is. Like they claim Dolphin Safe or MSC is all because of money. Well, it's a little projection, I think, from from their standpoint, and that's where I fault <sighs> the film a little bit. But let's attack the aquaculture because that was a hit piece, I think to to aquaculture as a scientist i do have concerns yeah like angie well, and, said and but i also i mean coming from an i come from a agricultural background mm-hmm. in michigan and then i have you know a phd in animal science and ad, animal agriculture uh so i don't really know a ton about aquacu- 
aquaculture. I can't even say it. See, uh, but it really, I want to know more and I want to get people that know more than me on the podcast to talk about it because I just left, I was just, I just, I was left really hurting. Like I thought I farm, farm fish was a solution. And then I realized it's not, I, and, I but, think I, but, it but I, well, I think that, I think, I think one of my conclusions from all of this, and of course I'm pushing my hidden agenda, which is science, 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 more mm-hmm, science. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there needs to be more money and more dollars to go into how to make wild caught fishing more sustainable, how to use better nets and really get some data and numbers behind it of what, you know, and get some people to invent some things, right? There's brilliant you, people you want, out there. You want, you want solutions instead mm-hmm. of the only one become a vegan. Goodbye. Right, <laughs> like that's what it was. Right. And, that's what the title was. I was like, wait, what? He was eating a piece of fake shrimp. And I was like, well, that looks good. And then all of a sudden, it, goodbye. The credits it, came up. It did like, oh. look good. And I'm de- I, it, it definitely, it definitely did look good. And I, and I am going to try that. What was it? It was, um, Oh, uh, new wave food. Yeah. Yeah, New wave food. Uh, the marine biologist invented it. So it has to be good because I'm sure she's super smart. So I want to try that and, and I'm open (laughs) to trying new things, but yeah, I just, I just feel like that we need the farm fishing, you know, maybe we take it more on land or, uh, maybe we look more into the welfare. Uh, I think, I think there's two sides to every story. And this is, this is why I, I feel like aquaculture is the future. 3.2 3.2 billion people depend on fish, right? They're going to continue to eat fish. It doesn't matter what we yeah. say. It doesn't matter what the United States says. It doesn't matter what Chris and Angie and Corbin say. People are going to eat Unfortunately. fish. Unfortunately. No, but <laughs> you're right. It, you know, we, we have to feed the world. And I struggled with this with animal agriculture because, you know, cattle ranching is destroying our, our forests. It's destroying our tropical forests in Brazil. It's happening in Australia. It's happening in Africa and Asia. So, but we need to feed people. We need, people need to eat. So adopting a more vegan type or eating more vegan meals will help, you know, like Corbin, like you said, reducing meat consumption will help, but insect protein, insect protein, way of the future. But when you look at aquaculture, you know, they went to one farm. There was an act. The activist was with them. That's like going to to, to one place and saying they're all the same. And That's like not. going to one roadside zoo. Yeah, and saying the Tiger King. Same. Yes. Yeah. Hello. So you know, I think it, it it does a disservice because we have to feed these people. Sure, there's growing pains with aquaculture. I think it's still a new frontier for for a lot of places. I remember looking at this 10 years ago when I was at UF that they were popping up in Florida. Like my concern is you have these genetically altered salmon, a hurricane or a big storm comes in, destroys the nets. Now you have these genetically altered salmon in the wild. Like that's my concern as a scientist, you know, the sea lice, all these other things. That's probably not standard because Angie knows as a farmer, you want your animals and your crops and everything very well taken care of because that's that's how you make your money. Right. You exactly. can't sell that salmon if you have an infestation of sea lice. Well, and you and can't for, sell those fish. Right. And 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 of course salmon what was that that's what was mostly talked about in this film. But something that wasn't brought up in the film was shellfish farming. 
aquaculture. So like your mussels and your clams and things like that, that type of aquaculture, they actually filter seawater and absorb carbon. And so that type of uh, farm fishery actually is very beneficial. And so that that wasn't mentioned. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to eat shellfish from now on. <laughs> For, but so it's things like the, those points were kind of didn't show the whole story of, of the aquaculture. And, um, and I just think that we need to have more science and data before it's completely, yeah, considered bad and horrible and all this and that. Chris just crust, uh, crust me. Chris, sorry, it's been a long day. Yeah, Chris, Chris just crushed me. I didn't realize the film was funded by a vegan. This totally makes sense now. I just, once again, um, and once again, no, nothing against the vegans. Uh, I think it's great, but I just, yeah, I, I understand there was some hidden agenda. So maybe more of a balanced film, maybe with more, uh, more options because I really like what you said, Chris. And people are going to continue to eat fish no matter what happens. It doesn't even matter if you know this is seen by millions and millions of people. People will continue to eat fish, and they're stuck in their way. So there needs to be a more of a sustainable choice for sure. Yeah, Corbin, I definitely had very similar takeaways. Um, but some really good things are that we're keeping, hopefully, going to keep this conversation going, right? Like wild caught versus farm. Um, how do you make both of them more sustainable uh, and and get people really thinking about it and maybe even getting involved with policy, 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 right? Vote with your dollar. And we need to keep monitoring these things to make sure fish populations, ocean health, fishermen practices, and even the scientific research is helping sustainable fishing and helping feed these billions and billions of people. But the film also showed me a couple things that I want to touch more on. And uh, Corbin, you mentioned this earlier, how the fish have feelings and that they're not just these uh, animals that don't feel pain or don't think and don't have emotions. And so there was a book in there called What a Fish Knows um, by Jonathan Balcombe. He's a bi biologist and author. So I, I have that in my, you know, on my to read list. And then doing a little bit of digging about other documentaries that are slightly more uh, unbiased or tell a little bit more of the story. There was one called End of the Line in 2009. It's, it's dated, but it, it tells a similar story, but both sides. And then there's a YouTube documentary about overfishing called Trouble Waters. So I'm going to, you know, want to keep educating myself about this topic. I, I don't want it to just fall by the wayside of like, and, and hopefully Chris and I and Corbin will have more either fish or ocean or shark experts, uh, you know, just things that we can dive into more. I love the puns. I yeah, thank you guys so much. Oh, I didn't even catch the dive one. Oh, <laughs> I love good. your puns. It was better than well, the hook. I think to kind of end this, because it, you know, always, this always goes an hour and a half. It doesn't matter. It's it just, it's such a great discussion between the three of us. You know, do we need to stop eating fish? Do we need to reduce fish consumption? I'll, I'll just leave a couple things, statistics and quotes to let people make up their own, their own minds. The UN definitely says global fish populations are, are in decline. So, you know, pretty, you know, I try to sort of think they're unbiased because they're looking out for the whole world, not just special interests. And I think they, certain fish populations 
are sustainable, quote unquote, sustainable about, I think it's about 60% where 30% are like overfished or something like that. Right. So the UN is, is saying it, it, it's bad. Overfishing is bad, especially in certain parts of the world where fisheries are regulated by like the U S and the UK and, and stuff like the tuna populations off California or Mexico, wherever it is, like they, they're saying these scientists are saying they are sustainable, whatever that means. I, I personally, and I think we all talked about what we're going to do. I found a, a quote that really has me thinking. It's Dr. Sylvia Earle. She's a, a marine scientist with National Geographic, National Geographic Explorer in Residence. She says people need to take a break from eating seafood until we learn better how to maintain healthy fish and wildlife populations. So, you know, when you have premier scientists saying maybe we should reduce or slow down, you know, that makes me pause to think. And so maybe, maybe the answer is more of this farm fish to promote that. If you're going to eat fish, you know, don't, don't shy away from that just because of this film, especially because of this film, I, I think they did fish farming a total disservice, but you know, I think it's all a personal decision, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, it got me thinking as far as in July, the podcast always hosts Plastic Free July. Then maybe later on in the year, we do Seafood Free September and Corbin can join us. And I don't eat it. I've been seafood free for years. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so proud of it. Part. You're like the poster That's- child. I have the poster. I think that you, I think that we need to have a discussion. I think our next round table should be about veganism, being a vegetarian, and we should watch a couple of those horrific documentaries. I've seen food Inc. I've heard earthlings is horrific, but I think we need to watch it and we should have another discussion because I think it's fascinating. I do think we do need to move more towards plant-based and I'm speaking for myself too. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. we, maybe we look into it and just see, is there a balance? I think it would be fascinating. Yeah, and it would keep the conversation going and and not just stall out. Uh, and and that that's that's what we do. That's why we're here, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's wow. It, it was such an in depth documentary. I mean, there's so many things hitting you at once. I will say, Faroe Island, stop what you're doing. Yes, it's, it's horror. It is inhumane. It is so. A thousand years ago, humanity. It, 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 we're better than this. We are better than this. So shame on you. I'll leave with that. <laughs> I'm still well, fired I, up I, about it. Well, that, I, I want to give a big shout out to the filmmaker. Twenty-seven yeah. years old, and got some, you know, and got a lot of people talking, right? And and really touched on a lot of points that are true. And our oceans are in crisis, and. It's not too late to turn around, but there's a lot that we're going to have to do. And we're going to have to work together. And that means that, you know, the vegan might have to accept the person that eats fish, but the, hopefully the person that eats fish eats either less of it or tries to figure out sustainably and, and people vote with their dollars and drive policy change. And there was a ton of nonprofits mentioned in the film uh, besides Oceana and the Plastic Pollution Coalition, there was the Dolphin Project. There was, of course, Sea Shepherd. We've interviewed uh, those guys a lot. There's the Whale Sanctuary, um, Oceans Asia, Parley for the Oceans. So check those out and and see if any of them ring true and, and get involved and get active and, and help educate people and share this podcast, share Corbin's podcast, um, 
for all, all the wildlife and animal lovers out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that's how we're going to make waves, right? By working together. Look at the puns. I love them. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, thank you for having me on the show. As always, I appreciate it. I love our roundtables. I, I think they're great. And uh, like I said, I think we need to look more into this and I look forward to our next one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thank you, Corbin. It's so good to see you. It is. It's good to see you. So good yeah. to see both of you. I feel like it's yeah. been too long. You don't call anymore. Neither of you call. It's been <laughs> was, over a year. I was, I was pregnant. There was a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll let it slide. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've been traveling the world. She's been gestating a baby. Come on. It was That's like, true. I mean, but we're back. We're back. Places, the, so. the, yeah, yeah. The, yes. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely catch up uh, sooner rather than later. Sounds good. All right, Thank take you. Care, everybody. Bye bye. Right. Thank you guys so much.